So like I said, I have lots of white tiger paraphernalia. Well, good morning, Ocean View, Ocean View Online. Uh, we're welcome to a new month, May. And uh, it's a new series for the month called Fearless. Uh, I don't know how many of you watched the coronation yesterday. Did you see it? Yes, King Charles. It was interesting that even some of the announcers occasionally said the queen. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. We're supposed to say the king. Uh, King Charles. King Charles III. Well, we will pray for our leaders and continue to pray. And uh, as a constitutional uh, monarch government, we pray for our king. There are some very old, old stories in the Old Testament, stories of different people. Now, some of these people were absolutely fearless. And that is the theme of the next four uh, stories that we're going to look at, some characters, some people in the Bible who were fearless. And they overcame some very big obstacles in their lives. Um, that's why we think of them as fearless, but they weren't so uh, fearless in the beginnings. As you heard in Grandpa's basement, we're going to talk about lions this morning, chasing lions. And we're going to look at a brief story. It's a very short story in 2 Samuel verse 20, uh, chapter 23. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you willing to chase a lion? That sounds like a pretty dumb thing to do. Well, sometimes you might find yourselves inadvertently chasing a lion like these people in this, this ad in Holland. There are over 2,000 specifically recorded fears or phobias. Phobias comes from the Greek, phobos, to fear. And here's a couple. Can you guess, can you guess what they are? Glossophobia. That is the fear of speaking in public. Glossa. Ablutophobia. Ablut, ablutions. That's an old word. Fear of washing or bathing. How about phobophobia? Fear of phobias. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to be a phobia. Now this one I can't even pronounce it. Periscavadecatriaphobia. That is fear of Friday the 13th. 
there are all sorts of different fears. Uh, they say that we are only born with two fears. Little babies have two fears. One, fear of falling. Two, fear of loud noises. So don't dangle your newborn from your arms and don't make sudden noises with your little ones. Now sometimes the older siblings don't understand that and scare the babies half to death. Born with two fears, falling and loud noises. Therefore, all other fears we have learned. We've learned fears over the years. My wife and I have mild ophidiophobia. Fear of snakes. <laughs> Uh, I learned that one from my dad. I, I still, to this day, remember sitting, we were down at the root cellar cleaning it out, getting ready to uh, press apples for apple juice, and there was a snake, and my dad, bam, with a shovel, kill it. Every time dad saw a snake, bam, with a snake. He grew up in the prairies. I don't know if they just had too many rattlesnakes or what, but I, I, I kind of had that, uh, you know, snakes make me job in that, but I never tried to pass that on to my kids because I realized that was a learned fear. I didn't want to do it, and it wasn't until... Uh, Matt, my youngest son, he was in his 20s sometime, and I mentioned it in a sermon that I had a fear of snakes, and he says, I never knew you had a fear of snakes. You never showed it. And I said, okay, good, I did that. Uh, here's another one, coulrophobia. Uh, that is fear of clowns. And my daughter-in-law learned that fear from her older brothers who used to put on a clown mask and scare her half to death. And then she, to this day, she can't go to a circus or a carnival that has clowns or she gets freaked out. Now, if we can learn a fear, it makes sense that we can also unlearn them. Scripture tells us that fears can be broken by the power of Jesus. Our Bible passage today tells us a little bit of the history of a man named Beniah. So Beniah is our Old Testament hero this morning. You can read the Bible for years and never come across this guy. Or if you do, you forget him quite quickly until you have to preach about him. And then you never forget. I never even noticed this guy, but he has a short and powerful story and he, show, he references a number of times through the book of 1st 2nd Samuel into Kings. Benaiah, the Hebrew name means Yah has built up. Benaiah, so Yah is the name of God. Yah has built up. God has built up. So let's read the story. It's found in 2nd Samuel chapter 23 and verses 20 and 21 is the story, the, the biggest story, the one that most people know about. Uh, Jehoiada was a priest, and his son was Benaiah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And it continues on, and he struck down a huge Egyptian, Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Benaiah, the son of this priest. And as we're reading through, we're thinking, man, this is like UFC fighting before the UFC was there. UFC is the ultimate fighting championship. It's a mixed martial arts promotion company in Las Vegas, pay-per-view TV. Lots of guys get into it. It's like... No holes barred, just go at it. Benaiah. This Benaiah, the guy, he was bad. 
Bad in the sense of he was a mighty warrior. Benaiah killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now that's the part everyone remembers about Benaiah. Killed a lion with his bare hands. Uh, the story also uh, tells us that Benaiah killed two Moabite heroes. Now the word in Hebrew is Ariel. And it's a cool word play in the Bible. Ariel is very similar to the Hebrew word for lion, Ariah. And so, Benaiah was a mighty man. He killed two heroes that were strong and brave as lions. Also, the dude actually killed a lion. That's kind of how the story is unwrapping here. It says that Benaiah killed an Egyptian giant. David killed Goliath, but uh, he's not the only giant slayer in the group. Benaiah killed a pretty tall Egyptian, five cubits. That's about seven feet tall. The Egyptian had an enormous spear, a weaver beam size. It's like that size, and it's long. And Benaiah had nothing but a little club, but he says he just snatched the spear from the Egyptian and kills him with that instead. Benaiah was one of the top five soldiers in all of Israel during the time of King David. He was one of King David's mighty men, the cream of the crop, the bravest of the brave, the SEAL Team Six. He was a commander in the Israeli army under General Joab. He commanded the non-Israeli troops. And every third month, he was in charge of 24,000 troops who arranged the strategy to protect all of Israel. It was very powerful. Benaiah was also captain of King David's bodyguards. So the President of the United States has the Secret Service. David had a personal guard as well. Benaiah was in charge of the Secret Service the elite fighting warriors that protected the king. Benaiah was in charge of them all, finding, recruiting, training the very best. It was a very important level of security, responsibility, and leadership. After King David died, Benaiah was part of the delegation that made David's son Solomon king, and then he assumed the role of full general over all King Solomon's troops. So Benaiah was a pretty important person. How did he earn this? Well, because of stories like these that we just read. Facing a fear and becoming fearless. Verse 20 says, He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Not really a terribly smart thing to do, you would think. A pit or a cave, a snowy day, must have been winter. He killed a lion. Slippery, snow, cave. Now, we don't know why he did this. Maybe a, a lion was troubling a village or town during the cold winter. Maybe it was a direct order by somebody. Maybe the lion was a threat. Maybe he just hated cats. Don't really know. Imagine what it would look like following a lion into a cave. Now, this guy went head-to-head, toe-to-toe, face-to-face with a lion and won. Normal people don't do that. Normal people don't face their fears. Normal people don't chase lions. Normal people die with all sorts of regrets. Normal people don't inspire people. Normal people don't make incredible leaders. Normal people don't change the world. Normal people don't chase lions. To become all that God wants us to be is something that only the heart of God could imagine. Overcoming our fears that paralyze us from taking the faith risks is what God is all about. What lion do you need to chase? What lion do you need to conquer? 
What is the fear that God wants to help you conquer so that you can experience his greatness? What lion do you need to chase? Maybe, maybe you don't really trust God with your finances, with your security. Maybe that's the lion that you need to chase. Maybe you are hesitant about giving God that tithe, that 10, first 10% of your check. It's like, how am I going to live? I mean, I need that for security. And yet God says, you need to give the tithe. So maybe we have to obey the lion, obey God, face the lion, and he will honor your faith. Maybe your lion is to tell one of your relatives about Jesus. You love your relative, but you don't know where they stand as far as their spiritual life. You know, I might feel awkward. Well, one day that could be a regret. Les was in uh, having coffee with me this uh, week, and he told me about a story about a friend when they first started at Meeting Place, he was leading music, and this, this strange guy, he was a little strange, he, he ended up, with, he worked with Les, and he ended up coming to church, but never really, he wasn't a Christian, he just kind of hung out with him, and he was a little strange, and even Anita says, oh, this, this guy is strange. And one day, uh, Les and him were having coffee, and he, he just turned to Andy, and he said, Andy, it's time. And he said, what? You come and come to church all the time. It's time for you to trust Jesus. Yeah, Les, he said, you know, I think I do. So he accepted Jesus. A week later, he got a phone call from Andy's phone and answered, and it was his wife. She says, I don't know how to tell you this, Les, but Andy just died. One week before that, and he says, I'm going to see Andy in heaven. One day, it could be a regret. Who do you need to tell about Jesus? Maybe you're coming to worship. You sneak in. You sneak out. You're not using your gifts. Maybe that's your lion, knowing that there are some things that you could do, but you're not utilizing your gifts and talents that God has given you. Maybe it's about giving. Maybe it's about serving, discipling others, becoming kingdom people. Maybe you're needed to reach out to someone to help them, to reconnect in a relationship. What is the lion that you need to chase. And of course, I've got another little video about chasing. Becoming a lion chaser. Change is important in our lives. And without change, we don't grow. So it's important that our faith has to expand when we use it, when we see God is faithful, our faith gets stronger. Chasing lions is about faith and testing our faith and faith risks. This morning there are two things that are going to drive our teaching about being a lion chaser. How can we become a lion chaser? Well, number one, lion chasers know that the bigger their God is, the smaller the lions become. The bigger our God is, the smaller the lions become. Problem is, too many of us, we look at the lions instead of looking at God. When we look at the lions, the lions do look big and ferocious. But when we look at God, the lions begin to look small. 
I remember leaving a bivocational ministry in Port Hardy and finding a new pastorate in a small church. It was chasing a lion to leave security and to go to this small church. Souk was a church of 70. Gradually, it grew to about 140, and we needed a new building. That was another chasing the lion. How are we going to find land? How are we going to have enough money for a building? We're talking close to a million dollars. It was just a small church in a rural community. Then we actually got the land, we got the building, and we started building, and uh, we worked uh, from September to March and contracted out the building. That was chasing a lion. We didn't really know what we were doing, and yet we had it all done. We ended up with a mortgage of 450000 In 10 years, it was paid down to 150000 We saw a growth about 10% every year. And then after 19 years in ministry there... It was time to leave. Chasing a lion. Didn't have any new pastorate. In fact, we didn't have any new church for a whole year. So God provided our needs for a whole year. It was chasing a lion. When you look at the lions, they appear very, very big. But when you look at the big God, the lions become small. Now, even in all my history, it was hard to see the big God. I saw bigger lion. But as I look back, I see a bigger God and a very small lion. So my faith needs to go, no, you've seen it over and over and over again. God is the big God. The bigger our God is, the smaller the lions become. Daniel from the Old Testament, he understood this principle like few others. If you know the story, King Darius was tricked into issuing a decree that said anyone who prays will be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel was faithful to his God. He couldn't stop praying. When he was caught, he was thrown into the lion's den, and he got to see firsthand who is bigger, a big God or a small lion. King Darius was worried about Daniel that next morning, and it says in Daniel 6, When King Darius came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God... Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lion. You know this word play there? Daniel, your God, your God. And Daniel says, my God. There is a difference between your God, my God. Many people talk about God, but he's somebody else's God. He's God out there. But then there are those who know him personally, and it is my God. And my God is bigger than the lions. Let me tell you who my God is. My God is overwhelming in his mighty power. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no one like my God. My God is majestic in holiness, awesome in glory. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. There is no one like my God. My God is the King of righteousness, the King of the ages, the King of glory. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is no one like my God. My God is enduringly strong, entirely simple, and eternally steadfast. There is no one like my God. My God offers strength for the weak. 
His mercy is limitless. His grace knows no bounds, and his love endures forever. There is no one like my God. My God is incomprehensible. He is absolutely invisible. He is divinely irresistible. When I did try to describe him, my words always fall short. Why? Because my God is the indescribable one. There is no one like my God. He is my God. Who is he to you? Do you know him in a personal way? When you face some kind of lion that seems to be so big, can you look past the lion and look to your God? Because God will be what you need. Can you look past the addiction and look at God? And then you will say, my God is my deliverer. When you are weak, my God is my strength. When you don't know what to do, my God is my guide. When you are hurting, my God is my comforter. When you're alone, my God is my friend. When your father abandons you, my God is my father. When your husband leaves you, my God is my husband. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is my strength. He is my shield. He is my righteousness. He is my redeemer. He is my rock. He is my alpha. He is my omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is everything that I need. Who is God to you? Know him personally. And when you know him, he becomes bigger and the lines become smaller and you can face the fear. He will strengthen you and you will overcome it. Lion chasers know that the bigger their God is, the smaller the lion becomes. The second thing about lion chasers is the lion chasers know that playing it safe is risky. In life, we're looking for safety and security. It's part of our DNA. It's part of how, what makes us able to stay alive. We're, we're, we are concerned about safety, concerned about security. It's part of our protection. But sometimes playing it safe is running away, and we run away from stuff, run away from the lions. Out on the plains and the savannah, the antelope think that if you just run, you can keep away from your predators, like this ad. Sometimes playing it safe is risky. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without taking faith risks, we won't see what God can do. It is our actions that say what we, that we believe God with not just our words. Without faith, we cannot please God. There is no such thing as a risk-free faith. What's the problem? Well, what do you want in your life a year from now? A common thread would run through our answers, I'm sure. Increase personal security. Decrease the risk. The thing is, faith often causes us to do the opposite. Faith causes us to take risks for Jesus. Benaiah chased the lion. It increased his risk 
It decreased his security. But he killed the lion. The greatest victories are on the other side of faith. At the start of my ministry career, in, we lived in Armstrong. And I was the assistant pastor. I was, I was the assistant pastor, youth pastor, Sunday school leader, and a bunch of other duties that I can't even remember in the church. It was like everything that the pastor didn't want to do. We had just bought our first house. Uh, we bought a car, a newer car that fit our whole family. We were settled. We were secure. But then we were challenged to move to Port Hardy. We were challenged to take on a bivocational ministry, which meant you kept the church going, but you found a job in the community to pay for keeping it going. And I ended up, uh, we were settled, we were secure in Armstrong. But they wanted us to move to Port Hardy. Ah, man, increase the risk, decrease the security. I thought, man, I lived like that through Bible school. I don't really want to do it again. Chasing the lion, it teaches me to live on faith. God is the provider, the source of strength, the sustainer in every way. What would happen if you don't chase that lion? Who is it that God wants you to reach? Lion chasers know that playing it safe is risky. You cannot follow a lion into a cave and not be scared. You feel the fear, but you take the step of faith. You see, it happens in a step. God's going to call you to take a step, to get out of where you're comfortable and step into the fear. God will meet you there. It happens, though, only when you actually step into it. One step for me is the difference between Dwight Geiger and the power of God. Fear or faith, my insecurities or his anointing, weakness or his strength. Taking this step. You see, you were not created to be normal. You were created by an extraordinary God to make an impact on this world. Satan will try to talk you out of it by some fear, but not, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but instead by his Holy Spirit he gives you power, love, and a sound mind. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Chase the lion. Believe God. Take the step. Make the phone call. Tell someone your vision. Call the rehab center. Whatever it is, take the step. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we live by faith, not by sight. We live by what? Faith. Not by what? Sight. It's not by seeing. It's, it's, it's faith. It's that faith risk. Taking a step. Lion chasers understand the bigger their God is, the smaller the lions become. And that it's risky to live safely. So how are you with God this morning? Well, you might say, hey, I try to do good things. I'm better than a lot of people. I'm not doing some bad things. I'm a pretty good person. Better than most. Maybe I'll be okay with God. Well, the Bible says that no one can be made right with God by their good works. Life in the kingdom is not based on doing, doing good things or the absence of bad things. There's only one way to be right with God, and that is by faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It says, For God so loved you that he sent his Son, Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He became the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins on a cross. He died with our sins, but he was raised from the dead. 
Now anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So you simply need to call to him, Jesus, save me, forgive me, and all your sins will be cast away from God. He wipes you clean, and you are right with God. It's not by your works, but by grace through faith in Jesus. There is faith. It's making a radical, lifelong decision to becoming a follower of Jesus. That is the faith risk, trusting in Jesus alone. Not in my own goodness, not in my good works. It is about surrender. We're no longer in charge. It's not just some kind of get-out-of-hell-free card. It's a radical, full-blown commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're putting everything in your faith on Jesus. Am I good enough? No, you're not. Will I blow it? Yes, you will. Will people talk? Yes, they will. But you don't care because you faced that lion.